0: was our wedding day picture. And this morning, we're going to talk about marriage. We're going to talk about this, this idea of marriage, and we're going to talk about it in the terms of priorities, things that are most important in marriage. So I want to have a quick prayer and ask God to bless our time, and then we're going to jump into our study. Hey, God, thank you for each person that's here. And whether they're married or they're not married, um, I think there's something that you want all of us to see and know and hear today. And I pray that we would be open to your spirit, to your promptings, to uh, the things that you're urging us to do, and help us to be honest with ourselves and um, look at ourselves and be open to what it is that you want for each one of us to hear, for each one of us to know and maybe what you want each one of us to change. And uh, today, as I speak, may I just be used by you to be a mouthpiece in the next 25 minutes or so. May we just be able to uh, come out of here and know more about your plan and your priorities for marriage. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Let's talk about expectations for marriage to start off. Because I have learned through being married and being a pastor, and working with couples before they're married, and working with couples after they're married, that men and women tend to have very different expectations of marriage. For a lot of women, you think about getting married at a very early age. Some of you may have been nine years old, and you already had your wedding planned out. You already knew what your colors were. You already dreamed of your husband carrying you across the threshold. You knew what you wanted your house to look like. You had everything picked out, the whole thing. You've dreamed about it. You've thought about it, and you walk into marriage with these expectations of maybe decades of things in your mind that you expected in marriage. Now, for guys... It's kind of different than that. I mean, we probably haven't thought about that. Uh, Guys, for guys, their expectations of marriage, they're thinking, my wife's going to come to bed every night wearing Victoria's Secret lingerie. I mean... Why, why wouldn't that be the case? I just think that that's what's going to happen. And uh, my wife is going to love ESPN. I know she will. I just know that she's going to appreciate it for what I can appreciate it for. And my wife is going to prefer prefer that the toilet seat be up. I just know that. I just know that that's what she's going to prefer. And so we go into marriage with these entirely different expectations. And then once we get married, we realize that they're very vastly different. And so the question becomes, can you have a great marriage? I mean, is that even possible? And if you look around at society, you kind of wonder, well, I don't know if that's even possible. If you look at the statistics, you kind of think maybe, maybe it can't happen, or maybe you even look at your own parents' relationship. Maybe it was good, or maybe it wasn't, not, wasn't good, and you can kind of think, I don't know if you can have a great marriage. I want to tell you today that emphatically, yes, I believe that you can have a great marriage. And I believe that God wants you to have a great marriage. And it is possible. It's not possible to have a perfect marriage, but it is possible to have a really good, great marriage. But it's unlikely that you'll have a great marriage if you do marriage the way our society and the way our culture teaches and shows and demonstrates for you to do marriage. Because if you look at the statistics of marriage, they are pretty... Alarming. In fact, the latest statistics tell us that 50% of all marriages in the U.S. will end up in divorce. 50%. And that, that's not good. I mean, if you think about those odds in terms of other things, that's not good. If I told you today that if you eat Frosted Flakes for breakfast every single day, there's a 50% chance that within a month you'll contract cancer you would probably not eat Frosted Flakes any longer, would you? You, you would go to Captain Crunch or uh, you know, Fruity Pebbles or you try something else because you're like, Dan said I have 50% chance and you don't like those odds. You don't like those odds, right? And, and I get that. If I told you that there was a 50% chance at the end of the week that your checking account, your savings account and your 401k would totally be at zero if you leave your money in the bank and you thought that to be true, you would probably do something different with your money by the end of the week, wouldn't you? Because you were like, 50%, that, that's not good. Those, those odds are not good. If I told you by walking out of church today, there was a 50% chance that a herd of killer raccoons that has the rabies is going to attack you when you walk out onto Lincoln Street, you would probably stick around a church here a little bit longer today, wouldn't you? Or bring a shotgun with you or something, or at least look around when you walked out. Because 50% odds are not good they're not good. And in marriage, in our culture, in the United States of America, that's it. 50% chance. If you do marriage the way the culture says do marriage, that's your shot. Now, our culture says the most important thing about being married is that you have to find the right person. In my mind, somehow everyone was just going to say that word. It was just (laughs) going to come out, and I have to make a note to myself that didn't happen. But Don't you often hear in our culture, you have to find the right person. If you find the right person, that is what it's all about. And if you find the right person, Society says, if you find that right person, then, then things are gonna be great. If you find the right person, then you're gonna live happily ever after. If you find the right person, then all of your desires and all your expectations in marriage are gonna be met. If you find the right person, you will never fight. If you find the right person, you'll have a great sex life. If you find the right person, you'll never have money issues. If you find the right person, you will have two kids that look like models and act like angels if you find the right person. So everyone is out there looking for the right person. You have to find the right one, the right one. And one of the huge mistakes that most people make, and even people who say, I go to church, I'm a Christian, I follow Jesus, even that they make is when you're looking for that right one, you you go out and you take God out of the equation. And you totally take the things that God teaches us in scripture. And instead of relying upon God to to help, prioritize your marriage. You're out there looking for the right one in hopes that they will help you find a great marriage. And so guys go out and they meet a hot girl and she's cute and her dad's rich and she has a nice sports car and they tell their buddies, oh man, she's so hot. I mean, she smells good and uh, she doesn't even care. Like my car's all junked up and everything. It doesn't even bother her. And uh, she loves to watch football and uh, I think she's the one. I mean, I think I have found the one. Now, uh, for the girls, the girls are like, you know, his butt is so cute when he wears his jeans. It just is. It's just really, really cute. And um, his car is kind of junky, but, you know, he said once we get married, it's not going to be like that. And I'm sure he'll clean it up, and he'll take care of that. And he said that we're going to be so in love that after we get married, he's not even going to want to watch sports anymore because we're just going to be perfect for each other, and we're going to be totally in love. And I just think I have found the right one. Now, our society is partially right. It's partially right. To be really have a fulfilling marriage, you do have to find the right one. The problem is the one that you need to find is never going to be your spouse. Your spouse is not going to be the one that you need to find. If you're taking notes, if you're writing this down, or maybe you're texting on what you're going to do for uh, lunch, or maybe the person next to you is asleep, wake them up because I'm going to give you the bottom line of what we're going to talk about today. Here's the bottom line. God is your one and your spouse is your two. That's the priorities in marriage. God is your one and your spouse is your two. To have a great marriage, you need to have the right one, but the right one, the priority is not the other person. The right one is your relationship with your heavenly father. That's your one. Your spouse, your partner is your two. In fact, Jesus was asked one time, what's the most important commandment, Jesus? What's the most important thing? And he did not say, love your spouse with all your heart, your soul, and your mind, and your strength. He didn't say that. That that would have been a good thing to say, but that's not what Jesus said. And we find out what Jesus said in the book of Matthew chapter 22. So if you have a Bible or you look it up on your smartphone, flip over there to Matthew chapter 22. I'll have the verse on this. But we pick up this story, the context of this verse is there were these guys called the Pharisees, and they were kind of the arch enemies of Jesus. They were the ones always trying to trip him up, always trying to um, catch him, saying something wrong, discredit him. And we find him uh, in this situation where they again go to him, and they're trying to invalidate his teaching. And we read in verse 36 of Matthew 22, one of them says, Teacher, which is the most important commandment in the law of Moses? In other words, Jesus, if we take the Old Testament because the New Testament hadn't been written down yet, the Old Testament, if we take that, what's the one thing when you boil it down, what's the most important thing? Jesus says in verse 37, he answers their question. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. In other words, Jesus says God is your one. That's your priority. In marriage, in all things of life, God has to be your one. But Jesus didn't stop there. Notice what he said in verse 39. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the word neighbor in that passage in the original Greek language means the one near you. Now, if you're married, the person that's nearest to you is your spouse. So they could be considered your neighbor. So the second most important thing is to love your spouse as yourself. So God is your one, your spouse is your two. Now let me break this down uh, in different categories of people. Let's talk, I want to talk for a moment to the people who are not married now, but hope to be married someday, all right? So raise your hand if that's you, all right? Raise your hand loud and proud. Not married now, keep your hands up. Keep your hands up, not married, but hope to be, okay? Okay. Couple hot guys back there, some cute girls over here. Okay, keep your hands up. I know Valentine's Day's over, but I'm trying to do my part, you know, just so you look around, you know who the people are. The girl over there in the sweater has her hand up. I need to talk to her after church. Okay, I know what you're thinking. All right, so here's the commandment that I, I hope for you. Here's, what I, here's how this applies to you. You're not married, you hope to be someday. Here is your, your point. Here's your Twitter post. Here's your 140 characters or less, the thing to remember. For you, this applies to you saying, I will seek the one while preparing for my two. I will seek the one, being God, while I am preparing for my two. That might be six months from now. That might be five years from now. That might be a decade. Now, that's good stuff right there, if you will follow that. I mean, that is worth the price of admission today just for that nugget of truth. If you will follow that in your life, if you will make God your one while you prepare for your two, what you're going to do is until that point that you're married, above anything else, you're going to honor God. You're you're gonna love God, you're gonna seek God, you're gonna try to please God, you're gonna know God, you're going to live by God's spirit, and he is going to be the priority. He is going to be your one. And before you seek a spouse, you are seeking God and his kingdom. Because when you do that, when you do that, there's a promise that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter six, verse 33, when he's talking about the Sermon on the Mount. This is what Jesus wrote. He said, seek the kingdom of God, not when it's convenient, not just on Sunday mornings, not after your college days are over, not once you get married, but seek the kingdom of God above all else. That's your one. And live righteously, not just next year, not when school's out, but today. And he will give you everything you need. In other words, God will take it upon himself to intervene and to supernaturally be a part of your life, and a lot of the details and a lot of the things, you're like, where am I going to be? What school am I going to be going to? What city am I going to live in? What job am I going to have? What person am I going to find? God's like, you know what? I will help you with all of those details. What I need you to do right now is just seek me first. Just put me at the top priority, and I will intervene, and I will help you and guide you and make sure that all of these other things— get taken care of, and get smoothed out. So if you're not married and you hope to be someday, I will ask you to seek the one right now as you prepare for your two. Several years ago, I was doing premarital counseling with a couple, and this whole idea that we're talking about now uh, really hit home. And it was a young couple, and they had just recently graduated, and they were both just great looking, strong, athletic. And we were talking in premarital counseling and something came up that triggered me and I can't remember exactly how it came up, but I could tell that there was something there between the two of them. And we started to talk and we started to unpack. And what what had happened is is the bride-to-be had pretty much followed this principle. I mean, in high school, in college, God was always her first one and she was always making waiting for that number two, saving herself. Um, God was definitely her priority. But the groom-to-be uh, hadn't really done that. He went to college in the first couple of years. He kind of just did the college thing. He, he had lots of girlfriends. He had had some one-night stands. He had just spent a couple of years just uh, sowing his wild oats and doing his thing. And what I realized very quickly was how painful that was now at this time in their life when they're preparing for a wedding, they're preparing to be married, and this thing that you would have thought, oh, it's just my past, it's just, you know, what I did, it's no big deal, and I saw the pain, and I saw the hurt, and I saw the tears, and I saw the remorse, and I saw how powerful that was and how much it hurt because they had not followed this, and for one of them, they had not always put God as their top priority, So my greatest advice to you as a pastor is if you want to be married one day is to live a godly life today. Make God your one as you wait for your two. I love the way that Andy Stanley puts it. He's a pastor in a suburb outside of Atlanta, Georgia, and he says be the kind of person that the person you are looking for is looking for. You got that? You kind of have to think about it, okay? The person that you're looking for is looking for someone. You want to be the kind of person that the person that you're looking for is looking for. All right. Instead of trying to find the right person, try to become the person that the person that you're looking for is looking for and trust that God will make a lot of the connections. And if you want 50-50 odds in marriage, just do it the way our culture does it. Just do it the way society says to do it and look for the right person. But if you want better odds and the opportunity to possibly have a great marriage, Seek God as the one as you prepare for the two. Now, let me talk to the people who are married. Some of you have zoned out on me because you're like, yeah, Dan, it's been decades since I've been married, you know, and I, or since, I've, since I dated, because you haven't done the dating thing, and you're married, and now your life is about work and taking care of the kids and investing money in a 401K and uh, going to Menards on the weekends for home improvement projects. I get that. I know that's kind of married life, okay? I, I, I get it. But how does this apply to you? Here's how it breaks down if you're married. Always seek the one with my two. I will always seek the one who is God With my two. And here's why that's so important. All right? Because our marriages will never be what God wants them to be unless God is the first priority and then our spouse is our second priority. Here's what happens when we make our spouse, our number one priority. And in culture, that's what it's about. It's about finding the right person. And if you find the right person, they're going to make you happy. And, and when you seek that and you, you make the person that you're married to the most important thing, you, you think, oh, I, you make me so happy. You fulfill me. You are my everything. I never thought I could be this happy before. And everything about that person is you build them up and you put them on a pedestal and you just think your life is so perfect because God has put this person in your life. In other words, you idolize that person. You idolize them. You put them up on a pedestal that they are the, the source of your happiness. They are the one who's going to make your life perfect and is going to bring you joy for decades so that you can live happily ever after. And you set them up and you expect them to do something and deliver something that they were never expected to do and there's no way that they can live up to it. Matt Chandler is a pastor at the Village Church in Dallas, Texas, and he teaches very often that people make terrible gods. People make horrible gods. And if you put that person, your spouse, as a god, they're going to do nothing but disappoint you. Because people are people. And just like you're not perfect, they're not perfect. And when you do that, when you idolize your spouse, you think that they're going to be the one to make you happy, and then you're in for a rude awakening when they don't because you're going to wake up one morning and you're going to realize that they have bad breath and they have eye boogers and they've got like saliva running down the side of their mouth that that you never envisioned. You're going to realize they don't pick up after themselves. You're going to realize that they spend money on things that you think are totally ridiculous and never understand why a person would spend money on that or spend that much time in a mall. And all of a sudden, this person that you've idolized, that you thought was going to bring you all this happiness in your life, was going to be the one that was going to fulfill everything and all these hopes and dreams that you had, all, all of a sudden, the person that you once idolized, now you start to demonize. You've idolized them, now you demonize demonized them. Because they were never designed to be the most important person in your life. It wasn't, God never made it that way And now all of a sudden, when you demonize them, you feel these feelings like, I'm just not happy. And and I don't understand why you do this. and, And I thought you were gonna bring me happiness and you make me so mad and you make me angry. And I thought our marriage was gonna be so good, but now I'm so mad at you and I don't like you. And all of these things, all of these emotions build up, but they were never ever going to be able to do all of those things for you. God never designed it that way because when you're seeking a spouse, The first thing you seek is you make God your one and the spouse your two. Idolize and demonize. That's what we do when we put that person as the most important. And before long, you start thinking, you know what, I think I picked the wrong person. I picked the wrong person. This person is the not the right person for me, but God never intended for your spouse to be your one. Seek the one with your two. If you're married, now I want to break this down and make it practical for each one of us. And so you may be asking, how? Wh- what do I do? Like, if I wanted to do this, where do I start? And uh, I was thinking through this message, and I thought, man, I could come up with like all of these things that you should do, like list, like, because preachers do that. They come up with all these things, and we can give you a list of like 50 things to do. And uh, you know, I thought of things. I'm like, you know, tell tell married couples to read God's word together. You know, that that's really important. That is a good thing. I could tell them to attend worship together regularly. Very good idea. I could say, you need to join a life group together. You know, that would be awesome. Why don't you serve the community together in some way? That's a fabulous idea. Why don't you lay a a positive spiritual foundation for your kids? Good advice. Maybe develop traditions together. No, there's a good idea. Or invest in a hobby with your spouse. And then, you know, the list kept going on and on and on and on. But have you ever had the feeling like you're trying to drink from a fire hose? You know that feeling like when someone's like throwing things at you and you're just like, oh, like it's too much stuff. I can't deal with this. Maybe it's just me, but my mind works like that. Sometimes I'm like, just... Gets, break it down, give me the simple action step, and tell me what I need to do. Now, Daniel Coons earlier was showing his age by uh, bringing up the cool running movie, and I'm going to show you my age by telling you a movie that I always thought was a great movie, and it's the movie Mr. Mom, which came out in 1983, which a lot of you want not born yet, or even conceived, but it is a great movie, and let me just tell you the premise, and I want to show you a little clip, and then tell tell you how it applies to us today. In the movie, Michael Keaton loses his job, and his wife gets a good job, so he decides that he is now going to stay home and take care of their two boys, which he has never really done, and the movie is about him trying to learn how to stay home and take care of the kids, and in the short clip that we're going to see this morning, he goes to the grocery store for the very first time, and he's not the one that usually buys groceries, but he's got the kids, and they go to the grocery store, and this is what happens. Let's watch. Hey, Kenny, where are the eggs? Oh, the no, over there, go over there and check oh. it out. Uh, I have the right-of-way. Right. Sorry. Here. You said a lot of quirk. <laughs> oh, weirdo. I'm clean up on Aisle 4. Aisle 4, check. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I, Kenny, did I tell you not to touch the grapefruit? Next. May I have a half a pound of uh, ham. Boiled baked smoked salt, cured, sugar cured, prosciutto, or Westphalian. Alright, forget it. Just tell you what, just give me uh give me a, qu- a half pound of salami. Italian kosher, hard pork, beef, koto, or what? Uh just get bologna, mister. I'll tell you what, just give me, give me a quarter pound of cheese. American blue, cream, cottage, Gouda, Edom, provolone, Romano, Swiss—you have your entire cheddar family. Can you run the uh, hams oh. back one more yeah. time? Oh. Just—I just want to. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> 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 All right. I don't want you to feel like that today. I don't want you to walk away here and you're like Dan gave us forty-five things that we're supposed to do, like you're at the deli counter and you're like, I- uh. so I want to leave you with just one simple thing. That that connects this marriage with how I'm going to ask, or this message with how I'm going to ask you to carry out in your message. And here's what I want: We talked about this idea of God is my one, my spouse is my two. Here's the takeaway that I want would would challenge you to make a commitment to. I want you to pray for and with your spouse. That's all I want you to do: pray for and with your spouse. And now you may be thinking, "That's it? That's all you got, Dan? I mean, like that?" it all comes down to that. I mean, you could stay at home and watch Joel Olstein today and, you know, gotten more out of that than, uh, than what I'm telling you. But I, I want to take all the distractions away and tell you why I think this is important. Why is this important? Because prayer is a powerful connection with God and an intimate connection with your partner. Prayer is a powerful connection to God and an intimate connection with your partner. Now, let me talk to those who are not married for a second. All right. You know, prayer is a is a powerful thing and a very intimate thing. So, if you're going to pray with your girlfriend, with your fiance, like, let's not do it when no one else is at home, okay? Let's not do it, you know, when the two of you are on the couch, all the doors are locked. Let's not do it, you know, when you're laying on the couch, taking a nap, no one else is around, and think, oh, we'll, we'll just pray together. That will be, like, so romantic. That will be so fun. Because there are things called hormones, you know, that, like, kick in. And, uh, you know, um, I've been there, I'm married, I have four kids now, you know, just saying I have four kids and, uh, you know, I know what it's like to, uh, you know, have your wife not be able to keep your hands off of you. So I I understand completely (laughs) what that's like. So I'm just telling you, be careful. Okay. Be careful if you're not married. Now, if you are married, if you are married, I want you to commit to praying for and with your spouse. And uh, here's why. Now, some of the husbands are like freaking out. They're like, dude, man, I don't know, like praying with my wife. Like I don't even know what to say. And like it makes me feel all weird and that's all touchy-feely. And like I get that. I know guys are just a little, we freak out about that a little bit. But let me tell you why I think it's important. All right, here is the logic. There are benefits. It will help you grow closer to your spouse. If you pray with your spouse and for your spouse, I promise you there will be a connection that will deepen Here's another reason. It's very hard to be angry with someone constantly that you're praying with and for. It's hard to be like, you make me so mad, you are such a jerk, you are so inconsiderate, and like that finger pointing, arguing, screaming thing that goes on, when you're consistently praying with and for that person, that becomes much harder to carry out, okay? It's hard to commit adultery against someone that you're praying with and you're praying for. I mean, that's just practical, but, but, but it is. It's hard to divorce someone that you're praying with and you're praying for. It's just hard. It, it, that, that's not a natural thing. So if you will commit to praying for and praying with your spouse, there will be a supernatural thing that God will do and will strengthen that relationship. Here's, what, here's a promise that God gives you in Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive them their sins and hear their land. Now, here are some statistics that I'm going to put on the screen, and I put the source on there, so if you don't believe me and you think I'm making it up, you can go look for yourself. A group named Family Life did a survey of thousands of Christian couples, people who call themselves followers of God, go to church, read the Bible, believe in God, all those things. Thousands of Christian couples. They did a survey. This is what they found. 8% of Christian couples pray regularly together. 8%. That's it. That's, that's what they found. That's who people were honest and told them that was what they found out. Now here is some better news. Of the 8% of couples that pray together regularly, 1% of those Christian couples who pray together regularly get divorced. 1%. 1% of the eight that pray together get divorced. That's a lot better odds than 50%. A lot better odds. That's why I'm just asking you to do one thing. Just pray with and for your spouse. And I believe that when you do that, the God of heaven has the power to come alongside you, to help shape and transform you, your spouse, and your marriage. And I want you to have that kind of marriage. I believe that you can have that kind of marriage. You won't have a perfect marriage, but I believe you can have a great marriage if you put God as your one and put your spouse as your two. Let me pray for you. Hey, God, I thank you for um, everyone that's here today. And uh, for those who are here that aren't married, Uh, maybe even have been married or maybe haven't been married. Um, Father, at some point, if they are going to be married, I I pray that the things we talked about today, they would uh, either see that they may apply to them in a way of um, helping them to make sure that you're the focus of their life right now, that you are the priority as, as they wait, as they prepare themselves for that number two, that other person, or for maybe, that, maybe that's not what you've called them to do, and maybe nothing else more today is it's something that they can take this and they can help someone else in their life. They can, help, um, they can help a daughter, they can help a friend, they can share it. When someone asks them their opinion, they can even share that with someone else. Father, for the people that are married in this room, I pray for their marriages. I pray for the husbands, I pray for the wives, I pray for the dads, I pray for the moms, and uh, I pray that you would help each one of us to keep you as the most important relationship in our lives and then to have our spouse and with our spouse make that the second important relationship. And Father, I pray that we would walk out of here with a commitment to pray for and with our spouses. And because of that, and just holding to that very simple exercise, believe that you will take that and that you will supernaturally do some things in our marriage that um, we're not even capable of doing. But Father, we want your blessing and we want you to pour out your spirit upon our marriages. And so I just pray from this day, I pray for uh, husbands that are thinking, I don't know if I can Pray with my wife. That's a little spooky. Father, would just give them the strength to try it. Just give them the strength to just uh, say a sentence prayer. Just give them the strength to text a prayer for their wife and say, hey, honey, I'm praying for you today. Just take a step in that direction and trust you that you will hear that prayer and that you will answer that prayer and you will strengthen both of them in their marriage because of that. Father, um, our country is pretty uh, shameful when it comes to marriages and the way that we see them played out. On television and in magazines and uh, father we don't we believe that we can have great marriages but it's only going to be because we have a great God and father so we ask you for your wisdom we ask for you to step into our world and our marriages and intervene and that is our prayer through the name of Jesus and all God's people said amen amen we're going to move